The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech podcast feed. Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready because here it comes. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, entrepreneur and technophile Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. Here I am, the Rembrandt of the podcast canvas, Brian Sovereign, here for for you. Yes, I am here for you for another great, great episode of Sovereign Tech. Um, actually, I'm not for you in like the altruistic sense, but uh, I don't know. I get pleasure out of it. Anyway, uh, got a, in fact, speaking of pleasure, I, I got a great, great uh, comment from, uh, from a listener of the show that I really enjoyed. And, and it was kind of a, he, uh, he came up with a bit of a tagline for the show and I thought it was really good. And it's, it goes like this. Sex sells. Science is sexy. Why not trade triple X for triple black and stimulating, stimulating your mind? Not bad. I thought that was kind of clever. I, I I could dig that. Of course, I am the man who always wears triple black. Uh, fresh off of Liberty Forum, had a good time there. Got to be on a few shows. In fact, if you haven't listened to the Flaming Freedom After Dark special from Liberty Forum, check that out because uh, you'll learn things about me you probably wish you never knew. So, you know, it was a good time. Um, okay, let's get right into it, shall we? Uh, we've got a, a really, <laughs> speaking of triple X, we got a really, really great, great article, uh, to, to open this up with. This is, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, people always say, well, you know, there's only bad news in the news and, and, and I got to disagree because I read so much good news all the time. And this, this may be the best news I've read in my entire life. Um, <laughs> and maybe you'll agree the, this is from, uh, the, uh, the daily mail, which is kind of notorious over in the United Kingdom. And the title of this is semen. Yeah, that semen is good for women's health and helps fight depression. I mean, how can you go wrong with that one? Huh? So, yeah, this is by uh, Eddie Wren, and it says the range of chemicals in semen promote mental well-being and feelings of affection, say researchers. So here we go. Oral sex is good for women's health and makes you feel happier, according to a study which studied the effects of semen's mood altering chemicals. The State University of New York study, which scientists carried out via survey rather than through practical experiment that. All right, I would have loved to have been on on that experiment, but whatever. Uh, compared the sex lives of 293 females to their mental health. So now they didn't do this on males. So you know, for uh, my wonderful uh, you know LGBT friends, I mean, I'm you know where you fall into this, I'm not really sure. But this is great news all the same, right? Um, it follows research which shows that seminal fluid contains chemicals that elevate mood, increase affection, induce sleep, and also contain at least three antidepressants. Three antidepressants. This blows away anything you can get over the counter. Come on. The researchers also claim that women who have regular unprotected sex are less depressed and perform better on cognitive tests. 
That's amazing. Okay. Semen contains another uh, uh, chemicals al- along with spermatoz- spermatozoa. Sorry. Spermatozoa. Thank you. The lovely and hyper-intelligent um, producer, Stephanie Murphy, just, just chimed in with that. She knows all about it. Uh, no. <laughs> Include... Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't catch that, she said it's hard to talk with her mouth full. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, spermatozoa, uh, including cortisol, which is known to increase affection, estrone, which elevates mood, and oxytocin, which also elevates mood. Uh, it also contains. Uh, th- I'm feeling terrible now. I, I just I'm, I'm not thinking with my brain at the moment, so I'm having a hard time with these. Uh, with, with pronouncing some of these words. It also contains thyrotropin. Yeah, I got it. Th- thyro- I just got the thumbs up from the producer. Thyrotropin-releasing hormone, another antidepressant. Uh, melatonin, a sleep-inducing agent, which a lot of people, you know, take that to help them fall asleep, which is fine. Uh, and even serotonin, perhaps the best-known antidepressant neurotransmitter. Giving these ingredients, and this is just a small sample of the mind-altering, quote-unquote, drugs found in human semen, Researchers Gallup and Birch, along with the psychologist Stephen Platik, hypothesized that women um, having unprotected sex should be less depressed than suitable control uh, control participants. To investigate whether semen has uh, antidepressant effects, the authors rounded up 293 college females from the university's Albany campus who agreed to fill out an anonymous questionnaire about various aspects of their sex lives. Uh, recent sexual activity without condoms was used as an indirect measure of seminal plasma cir- circulating in the woman's body. Now, I got to say, to get 293 college females from Albany, New York, aside from the college thing, I, I, I mean, to be in college and be in New York, that is a very, I, I have to say that I can imagine that being a very depressed group because college is depressing and New York is doubly so I can, I can vouch for both of those, uh, as I am from New York. And, uh, and I did mess with college for like two months and then I realized I wasn't making any money while I was there. Anyway, uh, each participant also completed the Beck depression inventory, a commonly used clinical measure of depressive systems, symptoms. The most significant findings from this study published in the archives of sexual behavior were that Even after adjusting for frequency of sexual intercourse, women who engaged in sex and never used condoms showed significantly fewer depressive symptoms than did those who usually or always used condoms. Importantly, these chronically condomless, sexually active women also evidenced fewer depressive symptoms than did those who abstained from sex altogether. By contrast, sexually active heterosexual women, including self-described promiscuous quote-unquote women, uh, who used condoms were just as depressed as those practicing total abstinence. The research suggests that it is not just it is not just that women who are having sex are simply happier, but that happiness levels might be related to the quantity of semen within their body. What else needs to be said about this? Uh, well, I'll say a lot for you because this is my show, Sovereign Tech, the show about science and technology, and this is indeed high science, perhaps the highest science that one could study. Uh, And there's just a a quick little blurb here on the side that I'll read before I get into it, but the benefits of semen. 
The other recent findings from Gallup's laboratory suggest that semen-exposed women perform better on concentration and cognitive tasks and that women's bodies can detect foreign semen that differs from their long-term or recurrent sexual partner's signature semen. They suggest the ability to detect foreign sources is an evolved system that often leads to unsuccessful pregnancies via greater risk of preeclampsia because it signals a disinvested male partner who is not as likely to provide for the offspring. Uh, Their findings also suggest that women who have unprotected sex with their partners and therefore are getting regularly inseminated by them, that's hot, experience more significant depression on breaking up with these men than those who were not as regularly exposed to an ex as semen, and that they also go on the rebound faster in seeking new sexual partners. Now, that's all very, very, very fascinating. but anyway, I mean, the bottom line that we're walking away with this is what? Semen's great. Semen is just like this almost a wonder drug. Uh, way better than alcohol, clearly, because it doesn't have any negative side effects, as we can see. Uh, and it's also way better than marijuana or any of those other things that, that for some reason, people spend money on, whichever. I'm not sorry. I don't mean to judge. Um, I mean, this is great. This is great, great news. So if you're feeling down, you know, maybe find a way to get some semen. Um, as far as how, okay. So they said that the more, you know, the more, the better, you know, this is something, and, and this is purely anecdotal. Okay. But I can give, I can give out some tips for my male listeners and for my female listeners. If, you know, if if they, they enjoy getting, getting inseminated. Um, (laughs) if, if you eat, this is coming straight from Peter North, okay? If you eat a bag of celery, one, maybe even two. Go ahead, you can put peanut butter. Well, I don't use peanut butter. You use almond butter or something, whatever you want. On it, you know, to, to really help you to, to chew it down. But if you eat that, you know, maybe around, I don't know, an hour or so before you, you know, you decide to, uh, you know, to have sex and shoot your load. We'll just say it. Uh that actually, believe me, I mean, that, that'll, <laughs> I, I mean, you're going to produce so much semen and, and it's, it's going to shoot like a rocket. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, really totally anecdotal. I've done it and it's, and it's insane. I mean, you, you want to talk about coverage and no, I mean, and, and just, just keep this in mind. It's, it's antidepressant. So why not do that? Uh, you know, the more the merrier, right? Anyway, also to, for taste, um, this one I can't speak so much on as far as even having anecdotal evidence, um, but apparently uh, pineapple juice uh, gives it a, a nice sweet flavor. But anyway, that, that one I, I can't really back up as to where the, the celery trick. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that one, you know, I, I can I can back that up pretty well. Um Anyway, I mean, I, th- again, this is just, this is exciting news. And, and, you know, I mean, this is just like, you know, some of the, the, uh, you know, like, like the article said, the more mind altering, um, nice effects of semen. But, uh, I mean, there's, you know, in ancient Egypt, um, as some people know, I'm, I'm kind of a, an armchair historian, but, but in ancient Egypt, they actually used, uh, I mean, you know, like a big thing to use now is coconut oil, you know, for your skin, uh, like particularly women, you know, use it, you know, to like work on wrinkles or just to have healthy skin or whatever. Men use it too. Um, but 
the ancient Egyptians actually used semen, uh, you know, Egyptian women and as like a, as a moisturizer and they just thought it was generally healthy. I mean, and there's more to it than that. Like, I mean, there's even like goddess movements from way back when, you know, old religions, not like Prisca Theologica, um, but that, that they felt that, you know, they were getting empowered when they would take, uh, you know, when they would receive semen from, from men, because like they were taking the man's, you know, kind of, kind of energy and they were taking his, his, uh, you know, his kind of his essence, not, not in a bad way, in a good way, you know, like that they were just garnering more power. And I think that, you know, and when I hear things like that, I say to women, more power to you, more power to you. That is great. You be as powerful. I think, in fact, those two words together, I love it. Women in power. Awesome. Anyway, uh, so, you know, I don't know how much more we can, uh, we can milk out of this article, but I, we're, <laughs> we're coming to the, we're coming to, to the, to the, on the end of the, I mean, to the end of the segment. Um, sorry. Well, <laughs> let it never be said that, you know, we, we just got picked up on LRN.FM and there's some pirate radio stations out there. Uh, one in particular called Liberty 94.3 that plays um, in New Hampshire. And I've already gotten, like I said, I, we, I just came back from Liberty Forum and I had some people tell me, yeah, I heard your show on the radio. I mean, again, they, this is, they're driving down the street. They didn't have, you know, their, their cell phone hooked up to their radio or anything. They just turned on their radio. They turned on the 94.3 and they heard me. They heard Sovereign Tech. And I think that's awesome. That's really, really cool. And I guarantee you know, no one, you're not going to get this kind of content anywhere else on the, on the radio out there on the airwaves. And I, I think I am so proud of that. Uh, you know, again, total thanks to Ian Freeman, Freeman at LRN.FM. Maybe he didn't realize what he was getting into when, uh, when he decided to put sovereign tech on, um, because, you know, and, and here's something real quick. I'm a little concerned and, and you've heard me call myself this and, and I, uh, you know, on the show in the past, uh, since the show's inception, which has been a while uh, now, or it's been quite a few episodes anyway. And there, you know, also if you like, you go to the Twitter, if you, if you follow Sovereign Tech or you follow me on Twitter um, or any other like various, you know, social media platforms, you'll notice that I describe myself and have continually described myself as a libertine. Okay. Now I suppose anyone is open to like what the different definitions are and all that, but I just want to, you know, I'm just saying, I don't know anyone else that was using that term in the Liberty movement really, uh, besides me, particularly in New Hampshire. And I, and now I'm, I kind of enjoy being able to predict things in the future pretty well. And I, I've, I've actually done pretty well on the fact that that I, I, you know, I'm pretty good at guessing what's, what's to come. And I get the feeling the word libertine is going to start getting tossed around a lot by the Liberty movement in, in a, in a good way by a lot of people who maybe even like have no idea to the actual history of the term and that it is actually, it is somewhat of a philosophy in and of itself. Um, so I'm just saying that, you know, you heard it here months ago, and, you know, now it may become somewhat of a popular term. Um, that in mind, one other quick, one other quick uh, uh, tidbit I want to bring up. Um, it, this is just, this is really fast, but this is amazing. I found out about something called skunk cabbage that grows in New Hampshire. I, I live in New Hampshire and I'm a participant of the Free State Project. 
And this skunk cabbage, it, like it grows anywhere. It's very, very hardy. It handles, it can grow in the winter. And this thing can produce its own heat? I mean, the, 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 absolutely astonishing. It does, uh, like, it, what is it called? Cyanide-resistant cellular respiration, which allows it to actually melt into the ground through the creation of its own heat. In fact, insects hang out around this plant. It's one of its attractors. First off, they call it skunk cabbage because it stinks. Okay, like it smells really bad. Uh, but it's not like a damaging odor. It just, you know, it's just pretty pungent. Um, and this thing is kind of edible if you dry the leaves, but otherwise it might burn you. Uh, but anyway, the, the skunk cabbage kind of, it grows all over the place up here. And like, but that's how it keeps growing is that like, it actually produces its own heat. And so, and there's so much of it because the insects go to it because the heat theoretically, like the heat that it produces, it's warmer inside the, the leaves of the plant. You know, it's warmer hanging out around the plant than it is the the regular air you know everywhere else and so it gets pollinated and spreads so much because the insects go to it because it's nice and warm i mean far out far out science you know it clearly it must be god that i mean you know because evolution couldn't just come up with that with the idea i'm i'm joking obviously uh but i, I just found that to be so fascinating that there's a plant that actually produces its own heat to dig itself into the ground. Um, again, this isn't something that, you know, you can eat like celery that'll, you know, produce a lot of semen. Um, but, uh, but, but it's there and you can see it and it, and it's something to look at and it's not something to smell, but, but something to look at. Uh, I mean, that's pretty unique. I, I gotta say, I was absolutely shocked that the thing could, could do that, that, that somehow it produces its own heat. I still don't totally understand the science behind exactly how and why it can do that, but maybe someone should look into how exactly that works for space travel applications. And that's another thing. Speaking of space travel, um, I have teased the, uh, the privatized space special, uh, for, for quite a few weeks now. And we just had Liberty forum and everything. And so there's just and a lot of content coming out. Um, so I wanted to make sure, you know, I want to spread out the content a bit, make sure there's always something new and fresh for you to listen to on a regular basis. And so that will be coming out. Don't worry. That will be coming out. We will be talking about some wild ideas just like that. Uh, and again, don't worry. It is, it, it's, it's coming. Um, and that's a good thing because coming is antidepressant. Whoops. Um, <laughs> sorry, that, that story is just so fun. Um, I mean, how can you go wrong with that? You know? And, and like I said, I really, you know, I know you're going to, I know what you're saying. You're like, well, that story about semen being good for health and all that. Well, they only did it based upon, um, you know, people's like say, so they only did it based on survey. Well, write to university of, you know, write to university of New York and Albany and say, Hey, I am willing, I am willing to be part of a scientific test to prove if this is true. You know, and and I think honestly, if if government wasn't wasn't involved, some some privatized organization would probably fund that because I mean this this is stuff people want to know. You know, I wanted to know. I was I was in absolute awe of of, of this news. So we opened up the show with a bit of science, and I think that's great. You know, I love talking about technology. Technology changes all the time. It's one of the great things about the show is that it a lot. You know, I, there's just so much for me to talk about. Um, I get I I get you know, news, uh, or story submissions all the time. Um, I have, I mean, I have a backup. 
I, I have a, a bookmark list of, of like all these stories that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I could do this show. I could probably almost do this show every day. Uh, minus like, you know, software of the week and website of the week. I could probably pull, pull off doing this show every day. If that's something you're interested in, send me an email. Let me know. Sovereign tech at hush.ai. Uh, or you can go to sovereign tech, um, dot com, which, uh, which is, it's still the Tumblr page, but if you type in sovereigntech.com, it'll take you right, right there. And that way you can link up with everything. Um, but anyway, gotten, you know, great reviews so far on all of that. Uh, people are really, really enjoying the show. I am so glad, uh, that you are and, you know, glad that you're listening. And I hope that this, this kind of a, you know, more, um, risque or, or adult talk, you know, doesn't turn anybody off. If it does email me, let me know. I may not listen, but, but I mean, let me know. I, I would be intrigued to know, or let me know if you think that, that talking about these kinds of stories is like, yeah, no, this, this is what I want. This is what I'm missing from my life, you know, or, or something along those lines. And then and that's great. You know, bring it on. I, I want to know. I, I really, I, I want to know, you know, what, what exactly my listenership thinks on, on all kinds of things. Um, I'm already getting, we just added in, you're going to hear more from this later, a listener email section where if you have a question or a comment or something, and I'll go over emails and you're, like I said, you'll hear more of that later in the show. Um, and, you know, bring it on. I've gotten tons of, you know, tons of people have emailed already, uh, some with just comments, some with wanting to know how to do certain things. And we're going to talk about those later and, and it's going to be great. Um, and, and another thing too, is that I am very, very open real quick. I am very, very open to, uh, criticism and to, you know, I am, I'm willing to have the logical, you know, not like angry, start getting angry, arguing conversation. So if you have, you know, if you debate something, if you're, if you're, you know, if you disagree with something, uh, email me and, and, you know, and I'll talk it out and I, and I won't go too crazy as long as maybe as long as it doesn't get into like the religious thing, because that, that's an area where I, I don't feel that, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel, we may talk about this in the listener email section, uh, in this episode, but I, I just, I don't feel that, uh, you know, that logic has a whole lot of place in there at least as far as with like the abrahamic religions anyway um so anyway uh another another quick thing that i want to get out there is there was a great i i am if if you don't know this i am actually a co-host on the sunday night uh episodes of free talk live which i am greatly honored to do and just recently this was this past week we had uh stefan molyneux on as a guest stephanie and i uh, he was a guest co-host and he was great. Uh, definitely recommend checking that out. You don't get a whole lot from me in it, but what you get from Stefan is just solid, solid information. So this is Brian Sovereign and I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with me, Brian Sovereign, the man who always wears triple black. Sovereign Tech is a show about science and technology and how it can set you free. Remember, Sovereign Tech only endorses businesses and products that we genuinely believe in and support ourselves. If you have a product or website that you would like to have reviewed, you can email the show at SovereignTech at Hush.ai. Please keep in mind that the reviews on Sovereign Tech pull no punches. Thanks for listening. 
Tech Roulette. Want to play? It is time for Tech Roulette, uh, where I, you know, people, sub- like I was saying in the last segment, people submit stories and I check them out. And if it's something, you know, that we're going to talk about in Sovereign Tech, we'll talk about it. You know, I kind of do eeny, meeny, miny, mo. I have so many of these submissions. It's, it's really, uh, and I'm glad, please don't st- I'm not saying stop sending them. Keep keep them coming because they're they're great great stories, um, and it's always great to to keep on top of these things because the, you know the world of technology is really where I I think you know this is this is Sovereign Tech, the show about science and technology and how it can set you free, and I really think it is the key. Like I don't think politics is the key. I certainly don't think religion is the key to getting more freedom in your life. I think technology, and I think there's people who would agree, guys like Jeffrey Tucker um, and and others who I think technology, the world, the world is finally changing. I don't think the world has really. I mean, yeah, you know, there's been advancements here and there, but I really don't feel that a whole lot has changed. Like, I don't even think pe- people aren't free. You know, people are still slaves, white, black woman, whatever. They're, they're all still slaves. I mean, we all still get taxed, you know, there hasn't been any real change until now. Now, finally, we can do voluntary interactions with, with very little, if none, uh, of, of interruptions from the, from, from the government, from the state or from, uh, you know, religious authorities. So technology is very important, and I think it is the thing to keep up on because, again, it is where, in my opinion, it is where freedom is really going to come from, and it's making it happen fast, too, and and I couldn't be happier. So anyway, this story, uh, I I actually got this story from a bunch of sources. A ton of people sent this one. Everybody got excited about this. It's pretty fresh. It just, I think it's from the 27th of February. Um... But uh, the producer of the show, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Stephanie Murphy, sent this. Uh, Daryl Perry, a tremendous activist, a giant in the liberty activism world, in my opinion. Uh, he's also a giant in real life. But um, he sent this on to me. A whole bunch of people. I mean, this is exciting stuff. And what the, this is from Wired um, and by Alexander George. And it's the 3D printed car. Yeah. Is as strong as steel, half the weight in nearing production. Now, if you're not sure, a lot of people get like, what is 3d printing? I don't understand. It's like, do you like feed in instead of a sheet of paper, you feed in like a block of paper and something comes out. No. And, and all it would take a little while to explain. So the best thing I can say to do is to hit up Wikipedia and type in 3d printing and you can get a, you know, you can get a good idea on, on what exactly that all takes. Um, anyway, let's get right into the article. This is great. 3d printed cars. Picture an assembly line, not that isn't made up of robotic arms spewing sparks to weld heavy steel, but a warehouse of plastic spraying printers producing light, cheap, and highly efficient automobiles. If Jim Core's dream is realized, that's exactly how the next generation of urban runabouts will be produced. His creation is called the Irby 2, and it would revolutionize parts manufacturing while creating a cottage industry of small batch automakers intent on challenging the status quo. And yes, that is the goal. Challenging the status quo. It's like I always say, be a troublemaker. All right. Irby's approach 
to maximum miles per gallon starts with lightweight construction, something that 3D printing is particularly well suited for. The designers were able to focus more on the optimal automobile physics rather than working to install a hyper-efficient motor in a heavy steel body automobile. As the Yerby shows, making a car with this technology has a slew of beneficial side effects. Jim Core is the engineering brains behind the Irby. He's the designed he's designed tractors, buses, even commercial swimming pools. Between teaching classes, he heads Core Ecologic, the firm responsible for the 3D printed creation. We thought long and hard about doing a second one, he says of the Irby. It's been the right move. Core and his team built the three uh, three-wheel, two-passenger vehicle at Red Eye and uh, an on-demand 3D printing facility. The printers he uses create ABS plastic uh, via fused de- deposition modeling. It's FDM. The printer sprays molten polymer to build the chassis layer by microscopic layer until it arrives at the complete object. The machines are so automated that the building process they perform is known as lights-out construction, uh, meaning Core uploads the design for a bumper, walks away, shuts the light, shuts off the lights, and leaves. A few hundred hours later, he's got a bumper. The The whole car, which is about 10 feet long, takes about 2,500 hours. Besides easy reproduction, making the car body via FDM affords Core the precise control that would be impossible with sheet metal. When he builds the aforementioned bumper, the printer can add thickness and rigidity to specific sections. When applied to the right spots, this makes for a fender that's as resilient as the one on your Prius, but much lighter. That translates to less weight to push, and a lighter car means more miles per gallon. And the current model has a curb weight of just 1,200 pounds, less than a ton. That's amazing. Um, And for more about bumpers, maybe we'll talk more about those later. That's kind of a funny thing with cars. Uh, To further remedy the issues caused by modern car construction techniques, Core used the design freedom of 3D printing to combine a typical car's multitude of parts into simple unibody shapes. For example, when he prints the car's dashboard, he'll make it with the ducts already attached without the needs for joints and connecting parts. What would be dozens of pieces of plastic and metal end up being one piece of 3D printed plastic. The thesis we're following is to take small parts from a big car and make them single large pieces, Core says. By using one piece instead of many the car loses weight and gets reduced rolling resistance and with fewer spaces between parts the irby ends up being exceptionally aerodynamic how aerodynamic the irby's two teardrop shape the irby 2's teardrop shape gives it just 0.15 coefficient of drag that is exceptionally low uh you can look into coefficients if you want um i mean that is really really low not all of the Irby is printed plastic. The engine and base chassis will be metal naturally. Uh, they're still figuring out how exactly, you know, who will make the hybrid engine, but the prototype will produce a maximum of 10 horsepower. Most of the driving from zero to 40 miles per hour will be done by the 36 volt electric motor. When it gets up to highway speeds, the engine will tap the fuel tank to power a diesel engine. But how safe is a 50 piece plastic body on a highway? Yeah, I mean, that's probably what you're thinking. It's plastic. How This can't be good. I mean, quite frankly, though, most cars today are plastic anyway. Um, We're calling it race car safety, Core says. We want the car to pass the tech inspection required at Le Mans. The design puts a a tubular metal cage around the driver, like a NASCAR roll cage, Core claims. And he also mentioned the possibility of printed shock-absorbing parts between the printed exterior and the chassis. Going by Le Mans standards also means turn signals, high beam headlights, and all the little details that make a production car. To negotiate the inevitable obstacles presented by a potentially incredulous NHS 
NHSTA and DOT, uh, the answer is easy. In many states and many countries, Irby will be technically registered as a motorcycle, Cora says. That's genius. It makes sense. With three wheels and a curb weight of less than 1,200 pounds, it's more motorcycle than a pa- than passenger car. No matter what, the bumpers will be just as strong as their sheet metal equivalents. We're planning on making a matrix that will be stronger than FDM, says Core. He admits that, yes, there is a danger in breaking one piece and have to recreate the whole thing. The safety decisions that will determine the car's construction lie ahead. Core and his team have been tweaking the safety by using crash simulation software, but the full spectrum of testing will have to wait for an influx of investment cash. Our goal with the final production, Irby, Core says, is to exceed most, if not all, current automotive safety standards. Core already has 14 orders, mostly from people who worked on the design with him. The original Irby prototype was estimated to cost around $50,000. Uh, that's just the original. I'm sure that price will go down. When the funding comes in, the head engineer is planning to take the latest prototype from San Francisco to New York on 10 gallons of gas, preferably pure ethanol. The hope is that the drive will draw even more interest. It's going to go from San Francisco to New York in 10, 10 gallons of gas. That bears repeating. We're trying to prove without dispute that we did this We did this drive with existing traffic courses. We're hoping to make it in Google Maps' time, and we want to have the Guinness Book of World Records involved incredible wow i mean that that is just amazing all their goals are amazing the technology itself is amazing absolutely amazing now again 50,000 for for the original car let's talk i mean that's i think what in most people's mind whenever a new uh, technology comes out how much does it cost that price is going to go down a lot as these things get more popular as the the technology gets better, like 3D printing technology gets better, faster, maybe more energy efficient, whichever, that price is just going to drop. And it's, and I mean, th- this is, a, this is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, now maybe the price would stay that high. I mean, no one's talking about like to what degree and I, there's no need for them to even think about it right now. You know, how much of a luxury car is this? Cause usually if you hash out about $50,000, you, you know, you're getting a pretty luxurious car at that stage. Um, you know, maybe they'll, they'll come up with more luxury features in the future, uh, as they come up with this. But the thing you'll see the picture in the show notes for, uh, you know, you, this will be linked to in the show notes and you can check out the picture there. But I mean, it has a very futuristic design. Um, I thought the idea of making it, registering it as a motorcycle, because it is technically a trike. You know, it is three wheels, and like even Harley makes three wheels, well, modified, but they make three-wheeled motorcycles. Um, to, to register it as a motorcycle is genius. And I hope that the insurance costs the same as it does for motorcycle, because motorcycle insurance, uh, I haven't had a motorcycle in a while, but if I remember correctly... Like, I, I think I only paid $70 a year for motorcycle insurance. You know what I mean? And so if the insurance could be the same same price, I mean, that alone would be worth the $50,000 price, you know, price tag if your insurance was only the cost of motorcycle insurance. Uh, just, just astonishing, astonishing technology. Uh, to go, you know, from New York to San Francisco, that those thousands of miles on 10 gallons of gas, that's huge. Um, you know, I mean, that that's money saving as well. Obviously, that would make it worth the $50,000 price tag. Uh, I mean, you know, that's like putting money up front, but you'd save it, obviously, years down the line. And I think... You know, here here's the here's the thing with okay, but it's plastic. It's gonna break. It's gonna 
just uh, think to yourself of any car accident you've seen happen recently in like the past 10, maybe even 20 years. The car's unusable during the crash in the first place. Okay. Like he talked about the bumper, how the bumper is going to be at least as strong as the bumper on a Prius, if not stronger. Well, here's a funny thing about bumpers. Okay. And a lot of people apparently aren't aware of this. So, so here's the fill in bumpers used to be made. It was a solid piece of metal. Okay. And they often had like a pointed design. Like if you look at cars from the seventies, they had like this, like the, the bumper had kind of a point to it. And that was to create, this was all physics. The, the bumper itself was metal, but that point was to create a central point of contact when you got in an accident. And they'd also put points at the edge where your car may like hit, you know, from like, on, like at the fender, there would, there would be a point there too on the bumpers. And again, the reason is that was they were hard, they were what's called hard points. They were points of contact to where when you hit the other car, you know, it, it would most of the, most of the, uh, you know, most of the, the kinetic energy that when the two cars would contact, um, would be taken in by the point and wouldn't dent in the whole car. Do you get my point? It wouldn't, it, it would just, it would, you know, and you'd have to like the, the bumper would come off, you know, with so many bolts and you could just take it off and you'd be done with it. Okay. And, and you wouldn't have to replace your fender or your front end. You could just replace the bumper because the bumper was so well designed and solid that it could handle, you know, uh, really high speed contacts. So that's not how bumpers are made anymore. Bumpers haven't been made that way in at least probably 20, if not 30 years. Um, Not since like maybe the 80s. And what they're now, actually, um, Stephanie Murphy came up with this great idea. She called them crumpers. Uh, You know, when I was explaining to her how bumpers are made today, uh, a while back. And what it is, is that when the design now for a bumper isn't to bump, you know, as in to like deflect uh, the you know, the contact with another vehicle, the design of the bumper is so that when you make contact with something else, when you, when you hit something, be it, you know, another car or a side rail, whatever, when you hit it, it's designed to crush the front end of the car or the rear end of the car, depending which way the contact is so that it's compacted and it doesn't injure you, but it's not designed to save the car at all. It's, it's purely designed to save you. Now that's not bad. That's not a terrible thing, but it wasn't that difficult 30 years ago to make bumpers that protected your car as well. You know, your investment as well as you, I mean, and that's nothing to say nothing of the fact that cars used to be made of like solid steel, you know, instead of plastic, because I mean, yeah, there's steel frames just like, I mean, this car is totally following every modern way. Any big name car is made. Okay. Uh, you know, it's mostly plastic on the outside and then it just has a steel frame. So this isn't any more, my point being is that this isn't any more inherently dangerous than the average car you buy today. Um, you know, is it, is it as safe as a car from 1974? No, of course it isn't. But then nothing is no car today is that safe. So keep that in mind. Um, so, so the idea is that, you know, with that bumper, I don't, you know, I'm curious if he's designed, if there's no mention 
uh, of if whether or not bumper this bumper that he's talking about because they made it you know they made it very particular that that the bumper was important um, if to where they're designing it to be a crumper or not like we described but you know we'll see but my, my point is is that this this as far as I can tell by the information being given this car is just as safe and solid as you know any any car developed today uh, I mean, minus, I say car, I don't mean like, I mean, when you get into like Ford F-150s, of course, you know, they still have like this Ford tough, you know, uh, kind of business to them, which, but still they're just, the only thing steel on them is their frame the, the actual body parts aren't steel. I used to have, in fact, just recently I sold it before moving to New Hampshire. I had a 73 Ford LTD and you can type that in Google images if you want to, to see what that looks like. Jet black, obviously, because I am Brian Sovereign, the man in triple black. Everything's black. And this, I mean, steel from end to end, everything on it was steel. You know, if you hit that, I, I feel bad for anything that tried to hit that. It, I mean, it, it'd be like it'd be like hitting, you know, a concrete wall. It, it was just so, so, so solid. Uh, cars aren't made that way anymore. You know, and and my point being, you know, again, is that why not 3D print cars? No reason not to. I mean, in, in fact, and real two quick points I want to bring up. One is that, okay, now people are going to say, oh, the robots are taking our jobs. Now the printers are taking our jobs. Good. That way we can go and do creative things. We can go do our own entrepreneurial things. We can go express ourselves and make money doing it. Instead of having to labor in some factory, breathing in who knows what, I mean, this is okay. You know, I, I understand, I, I get it when people say, it's like, well, you know, I can't go to work at the factory anymore. Then don't, why do you want to work in a factory so badly? Do, do you get what I, I mean, that's, that's fine. It's what you're good at. It's what you do. If you make good money, whatever. Okay. But like, there's, there's almost this, this strange nostalgia that people hold on to this, like where they just aggrandize these ideas of, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go, go to work, hard work. Yeah. who America, you know, and, and, and that's no, why don't we spend our time coming up with incredible things? You know, if Steve jobs just worked in a steel factory all the time, we would have never had half of the wondrous technologies that allow us to communicate with each other today. It's okay to let the robots do these jobs. And in fact, most of these jobs the robots are doing are stuff that we can't do anyway. It's okay for 3D printers to start printing this stuff out. I mean, just think of the fact that 3D printers are going to, they're starting to print out guns. Now, I don't like guns, but I know a lot of libertarians that should be happy-go-lucky about the fact that, oh, awesome, we can print out guns now. I mean, fine, take my gun. I'll just print another one. You get, you get what I'm saying here? This is not bad. Now, the last part that I want to bring up real quick, and this is the real doozy, is that lighter cars, stronger than steel, flying cars, flying cars, 3D printed. Awesome. Let's go for the future. This is Brian Sovereign. You're listening to Sovereign Tech. Are you ready? I've never seen anyone so treated like a, a god in my life. Brian Sovereign as guest co-host tomorrow night, and so that should be a good show. On that note, uh, what we, we just we're... added Brian Sovereign. Okay, we haven't. Oh, is he good? He's been in the audience. He's, oh, yeah, he's certainly got opinions on things. Yes. 
I'm so close to being like God. No one is above me. Okay, absolutely no one. I don't take <laughs> orders from anybody. And uh, I mean that—that's how much closer to God can you get? Is there anything he doesn't do better than everyone else? Oh, that's just his way of talking. He's one of the best. Break it down. Catch Sovereign Tech, the show about technology and how it can set you free with me, Brian Sovereign. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N at SoundCloud.com slash Sovereign Tech. Wow. Wow. It's a website of the week. It is time for Website of the Week, where I bring up a website that I found particularly handy, or that I think my listeners, you know, could could use. Um, and this one in particular, I thought, this has to do, you know, you may not see the use to this website yet, but I think this is something that's really up and coming uh, in the future. And this is also a great... This is a great way to find out a lot about a, about a lot of other websites that do a lot of things. And what this website is, it's about Chromebook.com. Now, Chrome, what is Chromebook? It's about Chromebook. What's Chromebook? Chromebook is Google's version of a laptop. And it runs a, a specific operating system. It doesn't run Windows or OS X or Linux. Well, it's a Linux base, but it doesn't run like Ubuntu. Um, and it's called Chrome OS. And what it is, it's a laptop, very inexpensive, though there is an expensive model out there now, but very inexpensive. They run around $200, and it just runs like Google Chrome. It runs the, the web browser, and then it runs all the apps within Google Chrome. So it always has to have an online connection, um, which isn't so bad, because actually, if you have like an Android phone, I'm sure this could be done with an iPhone too, but, um, but if you have an Android phone and you plug it into a Chromebook, it'll actually tether your, your uh, you know, your, your, uh, 3G signal or 4G signal off of your off of your Android phone, so you can always have that online uh, connection if you get 3G or 4G. Anyway, so Chromebooks are kind of cool, but the the gaff is is that again, it doesn't really have any software on the actual machine. It does everything on the internet. So what if you want to you know use Skype? What if you want to use something like iTunes or you want to use Office or you want to use um, you know something like Photoshop or you want to play games or you want to torrent or something like that? Well, this is the answer to that. And this goes beyond using a Chromebook. Like, I mean, if you just want to do more stuff on the internet, you know, and this, and most of these are all free. Most of these are free services. Some of them aren't. Um, but about Chromebook.com, what it does is it's a web page. It shows you, like, it gives the name of a popular program, like iTunes or Skype or Spotify um, or Photoshop or like a game like Minecraft or something, or even like a game, uh, you know, suite like Steam. And it says. Okay, you can click on, like, like there'll be an icon for iTunes, and you can click on that, and what it'll do is it'll actually come up with a bunch of programs, or at least one or two programs that are online, available online, that you can use on a Chromebook that match, you know, the software that you were using, like, on Windows, or on Mac, or on Linux, really really cool i mean and and you find there's so many great websites linked to in this that go well beyond you know just the idea like i say of using a chromebook um really awesome the now admittedly i'll say this that as far as chromebook goes and and there seems to be some options doing things like i run i record this show in audacity 
Um, as far as I can tell, I don't have like there isn't a way yet, and I'm just looking into these though to do to record a podcast with this level of production uh, that Sovereign Tech has and do it on a Chromebook because I love Chromebooks. I think it's a great idea. I definitely, there's one out there called the Chromebook print uh, pixel and it is the Cadillac of Chromebooks. I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful laptop and I want to use one of those and I'd like to use it a lot. And so if I could figure out a way to, to, you know, to do my podcast really well on that, I'd like to, um, but things like Photoshop, there's stuff we talked about this in previous episodes of the show, like pixler.com that allow you to do very much, you know, Photoshop, uh, esque, um, you know, effects and everything on a picture. I mean, this is really great about Chromebook.com. Check it out. And like I say, it's just a wealth of great content, uh, especially if you decide to get one of these Chromebooks. I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. For 90 seconds on sex with Dr. Paul. What is gonzo porn? Well, gonzo is a type of porn that's extremely intense, in your face, and more hardcore than most hardcore. It redefines low budget and over the top, and it's filled with enough close ups to give a gynecologist a headache. It has even more sex and less of a plot line than other kinds of porn. Now, the actors are often brash, highly enthusiastic, and definitely playing to the camera. The camera angles frequently from the male point of view. Now, even more than having a front row seat, gonzo porn makes you feel like you're one of the actors on the porn set, at least visually. The word gonzo is associated with the journalist Hunter S. Thompson. Not that Hunter S. Thompson ever made porn. Now, Thompson created gonzo journalism, where the reporter ends up being a main character in the story. Now, along with having a particular fondness for firearms, Mr. Thompson had a very warm spot in his heart for alcohol and psychedelics, such as mescaline and LSD. So any porn that's called gonzo definitely has an edge to it. One of the concerns about gonzo porn is its disrespect and increasing violence towards female actors. In fact, gonzo porn has been credited with taking disrespect for women to a new level. This in an industry that's not exactly known for its kindness to women. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. It is time for listener emails, the brand new segment, hot off the press here. Um, and this is where, you know, I'm, I'm, you get, I, I'm getting so many emails in. I can't do them all for Tech Roulette. I can't do them... You know what I mean? It needs its own section. And so I went for it, and here it is. Uh, listener email. I, I might do a, do an intro for it, but the new music is here to stay, no doubt about that. Uh, but we might add a little intro work to that. Anyway, um, first email. We might get, it depends on how many emails we get to, uh, but we'll see. But here's the first email, and this is about anarchist entrepreneurship. Uh, the email is, hello, Brian. I am interested in the topic of anarchist entrepreneurship. I currently am not self-employed nor employed by, by an anarchist, which means my wages are stolen from me against my will. Uh, can you recommend any resources online or otherwise that may help me develop an income stream apart from tradition, traditional sources that force participation in a system in which I have no interest? Uh, looking forward to your response emailer. Okay. Great question. Um, I am an anarchist. 
you know, and, and I, there comes a time I feel, uh, this is part of the reason that I moved to New Hampshire for the free state project. There comes a time when you have to start, you hit, you develop these principles in your life about anarchy, uh, maybe about other things like atheism or being libertine or whichever. And there comes a time where you have to act on those to be, yeah, to, to be, um, you know, consistent with yourself. You want to be authentic. I mean, that's one of the real keys to life is being authentic. And the best thing I, you know, to, to want to be an anarchist entrepreneurship here, here's an area that th- this is, this is kind of tough. Um, I, I will say this one thing you can go look at is agoristlist.com. And if you're not sure what agorism is, I'll, I'll really briefly, I'll, I'll describe what agorism is. And agorism is it's this idea by a guy named uh, Samuel Ed- Edward Konkin, the third or sec three. And it's that through a counter economy, like a, what they call a gray economy or a, or a gray market, um, through a counter economy, you can create, you, you know, you can do all your business to where the government can't touch it. And so the government inevitably falls that that's the theory anyway. And, and, and I think that's a lofty goal. I know some amazing, amazing what they, they call themselves agorists. Um, so anarchist entrepreneurship may, you know, that that's not totally equatable with, with agorism. But they, they are very much related. And uh, actually, one of the ads you hear during the show for, uh, for uh, George's Famous Baklava by Mandrick, um, he's the only real agorist I know. I'm just kidding. There's other agorists. He's just, he's really, he does very well for himself. Um, him and his, his partner, they, I mean, they, they just, they, 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 they do great business. He does great business. Um, anyway, it's, so, you know, now what he does, I mean, for, for an example, he cooks, he has a specific product with a great recipe. That's an, you know, an ancient Greek recipe and all this stuff. And, you know, he, he does that. And so he, he does very well with that. He also does, he runs, um, he runs a, essentially a restaurant in my opinion at the porcupine freedom festival that's held every year here in New Hampshire. And it's coming up, uh, uh soon. And, you know, he just, I mean, he really, I, he does great business. You know, so that's so he is an anarchist entrepreneur. He does, you know, the taxes aren't involved. None of that stuff. Um, He is one example and cooking, you know, definitely I can say this, you know, cooking food of any kind is I mean, that's just it's a basic human need. So that's business that's not going to go away. Okay, so that's one good example, you know, and you can look at you can kind of go to his website, mandrick.com. and you can, you know, see, look into his business model, maybe a little bit. Uh, there's also stateless sweets by Jillian Batty. That's another example of, I mean, that again, that's a restaurant type thing. Um, there's also, there's another, I know of another agorist who makes candles and is offering those. And a lot of these you can find on agoristlist.com. And all these are great, you know, the, like the food ones in particular are great. But when you go on agoristlist.com and I'm, I, I'm in no way I'm trying to offend anybody with this. But like some of the stuff is like you can get great piercings and gaugers and all this other trinkets, which aren't bad in themselves. I have some things that you could define as a trinket, I guess. But that's not really like, I mean, it is entrepreneurship, but it's not like you're offering. Yeah, I make these awesome radios that you can buy. You know what I mean? It's like, or, or I make these, you know, I mean, it's stuff that's like, 
I do wonder like how well, how much of a good, how much of a living are you making off of those kind of products? And like, that's for agorism to really be a big deal. That's the kind of stuff that I want to see. I want to see people saying, yeah, uh, like there, there is these two black, uh, you know, these two girls, black girls over in Africa who I think they made a generator out of that runs on urine. That's agorism. That's agorism. Not gaugers and whatever else. I mean, I mean that, that is, I get it. Technically it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying what I, this is what I really want to see. I'm going to bring down the state with my earrings. I don't know about you. The, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the producers, uh, the lovely Stephanie, she just said that, yeah, she, a common thing, like that's the whole phrase is with agorism is that I'm going to bring down the state because I'm making this. And she said, I'm going to bring down the state by, with my earrings. It's, and, and just, you know, as to where a generator that runs on urine, yeah, you might bring down the state with that one. That's pretty, that's pretty fucking awesome. Let's just say it. Okay. So, so you get my, you get my point there. So, you, you know, be creative with it. That's the one thing now, but here, here's, here's where I think a lot. Okay. What brings on these like kind of, uh, outlandish, not to say that there isn't something to be had about thinking outlandishly. Okay. That's like I say, imagination is more important than knowledge. Okay. That's how we, that's how, instead of going from A, B, C, D, imagination being more important than knowledge is how we go from A to F instantaneously. And we make quantum leaps in in thought and life. Anyway, I think it's important to have an understanding of, of entrepreneurship of what it is. And in that case, as far as resources, this is the hands down best one I've ever heard in my life. And I can't recommend more. And it's another podcast and it's called the voluntary life. And it's by, by a good friend, uh, 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 Jake. And he, I mean, he has a whole series on entrepreneurship and it is solid information and it covers everything. So my first recommendation as far as anarchist entrepreneurship. Okay. So you're asking for anarchist entrepreneurship, anarchist and Jake is an anarchist. Um, but I mean, your first thing is you're, you know, okay. So you understand the principles of anarchy. So now you want to apply that to entrepreneurship. This is how you, this, this is the way you've got your basis for anarchy. Now get your basis for entrepreneurship. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I mean, maybe this email already has an understanding of this stuff, but you know, I, this is for, for everybody to, to benefit from. And I really feel this is the way to go is to, to give those podcasts a listen. You got to put in a little bit of time. I'm not saying anybody has to work hard. I believe me. I don't want anybody to work hard. Okay. Like I've said in previous episodes, the only thing I'd be happy if everybody, all they did in life was get dressed quick. That'd be awesome. But my, my point is, is that you, you want you know, you want that foundation and going to the voluntary life. I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, I think it's the voluntary life.com, you know, look up, you can, you'll find them all. There's tons of them on entrepreneurship and check those out. And that'll give you the ideas. And there's tremendous ones. There's ones I've even thought about doing, uh, like, like, uh, ESL, which is English second language. Um, you know, now, okay. What's anarchist about that? <sighs> Principally, maybe nothing, you know, and you are going to pay taxes, but then let's get this, let's get this idea, you know, into picture as well. And that while anarchy is, is an absolutely, you know, important principle, your happiness with the non-aggression principle in place, meaning you're not going to harm anyone to get your happiness, your happiness, I really feel is your number one goal. And right now, 
you know, I mean, now you have options like Bitcoin to where if you accepted payment in Bitcoin or if you used Bitcoin, no matter what you're doing as far as entrepreneurship, you are getting out of the state. Your profit margin is not going to the state in any way, shape or form. Okay. So the, so Bitcoin's important to this too, but your happiness is the most important. And right now, you know, while, while we're still educating everybody, you know, into the, you know, with the ideas of Liberty and everything, and people are starting to grasp it. I, I hate it. I hate to put it this way, but if you have to pay off the gangs, pay them off, be happy. Okay. Now, again, it's a great idea. Be an entrepreneur, make that money, go for it, you know, and, and, and in your business relationships, maybe there in those business relationships, you can share the ideas of Liberty or, you know, you can talk about anarchy and things like that, or you, it'll give you the, the, these opportunities to say, you know, wow, if the state wasn't involved, I'd have this much, you know, and you can say that with someone, or if the state wasn't involved, you could just, you know, you could just give me this, you'd have so much more money to buy my product and all this stuff. And it gives you those opportunities. Take those opportunities. Okay. That, that, that's my advice on it. You know, I realize it's not puritanical, um, but I don't think you know, I, I don't think that you, that anyone's suffering to, to, to be able to like purely deliver an anarchist entrepreneur, uh, product, entrepreneurial product. I don't think that's worth it. Um, that that's my opinion on it. You're welcome to disagree. There's lots of people that disagree. There's people that, that live quite frankly, like, like bums. I, you know, and, and I really, I try not to be judgmental in the show, but sometimes you got to call a spade a spade and there's, there's people who live like bums and they say, well, cause I'm not going to pay taxes. I, you know, and, and they say, it's like, well, I'm not going to have there be a loss of life, but then these same people, you know, one of my, one of my principles, this is, this might, you might think this is getting off topic, but, but one of, one of my principles I only have like three of them, but or you know rules I'll say for myself. One of them is that I won't take another person's life. And these people who say no, I won't pay taxes, I won't fund the state, I won't fund the wars, but yet though they won't hesitate for a second to whip out a gun and shoot somebody if they mess with them. And it's like, well, well wait a minute, there seems to be an inconsistency on your value of life, on your value of human life, of a person's life. And I'll call that out. I, I, I really, I, I, I take a little bit of issue with that. I'm not saying everybody has to have the same rule that I do about not taking life, but there, it does seem to be an inconsistency. And that's the whole point of this question, I think is consistency in life. So, you know, don't, don't live that way. Please, please don't. And if you have to, if you have to pay off the gangs, you know, the state, the government for a little while, do it, make your millions. All right. You know what I mean? It's go to, here's a tip, you know, go to, go to Forbes, go to Forbes.com. It's actually a pretty good resource. albeit you know, some people say as Republican bent, whatever, go to Forbes.com, go to the list of millionaires or billionaires in America and keep going until your name's on there. And if you got, and just, this is just my opinion on it. If you got to pay you know, if you got to pay the state, to get to that point, it's okay. All right. I mean, I consider myself a very principled person and I wrestled with this too. You know, I'm an anarchist. I don't want my money going to the state, but at the same time, if I'm not making money, 
if I'm not delivering great products and stuff like that, if I'm not building reputation, that's important. Listen to the voluntary life. They'll talk a bit about that, about reputation. If I'm not building that stuff, then I have no value to add to the cause, if you want to put it that way. Okay. I got a little preachy here, but this is just how I feel on it. And so again, get that basis for entrepreneurship first. Hear people with genuine ideas that have the liberty mindset, voluntarylife.com. That's the best resource I can give you. And I'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. All fighter squadrons launched. Return fire. Freeze them! Watch Babylon 5. You can watch Babylon 5 and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the wb.com slash shows slash Babylon 5. Software of the Week. It is time for Software of the Week, and we have got a doozy this week. This is, I consider, one of the greatest apps in history and it is really paving the way for the future of information and the future of entertainment in my opinion and the app is called tune in radio uh i mean this if you, i imagine you're already using it especially if you're listening like to like lrn.fm which it is available on TuneIn. um i, I mean you got to be using it i mean this is so so good um and what it is, it's an app, it's for, uh, they have it for Android, they have it for iOS, they have it for Windows Phone, they have it for BlackBerry. It's even coming out for the game system known as the Ouya, which is an Android-based game system. We'll be talking about that in the future. That's coming out in June. Um, very, very exciting uh, piece of tech right there. But anyway, it's called TuneIn, and it's it's a radio. What it does is it it's like a, a search engine and player um, for all these like radio stations that people transmit over the Internet like lrn.fm you know and others and it is so good you will never you will probably never listen to the regular radio again because everything you could want is here i've discovered so much great music i mean like you can type in you know you could type in drum and bass and you're going to get stations tons of stations that all they do is play drum and bass all day you could type in dubstep you could type in hair metal cock rock you know whatever you want to type in i love cock rock you, you can type in whatever you want and it's and it's going to come up with stations that play that stuff there's even this is one of my favorites is you can type in soundtracks and there's stations there's there's a there's actually one station in particular that all they do is they play themes from soundtracks all day long uh, and, you know, music from like, not, not like soundtracks, like they play something from 10 things I hate about you or something. I mean, like, like soundtracks from like Stargate or Star Trek or something, you know, like really big, big music, you know, big bombastic themes, things like that, or even the more subtle. And, and it's really great. You're never going to hear, there's never going to be a radio station that plays, you know, like the eye of Ra or that plays, um, you know, the theme from Star Trek Voyager or something. You're just, you're just not going to find that out there. 
you know, on the regular radio, but tune in's got it. And also, I mean, the amount of, uh, you know, the amount of talk stations that you can get on tune in on the tune in radio app, all this stuff. I mean, it's astonishing, you know, everything, all the podcasts, all, all this stuff. And I mean, they're even, they're putting tune in. I think it's on something like 200 platforms. Now they're putting it on like the, the Sonos speaker system, uh, you know, in TVs like Logitech TVs can run tune in. Now Google TV runs, you know, runs, uh, runs tune in Samsung, uh, Roku's even run tune in. I mean, it is the future. You know, if you're into audio entertainment, I mean, this is, this is it. It's the, it's the one and only, and it just, uh, I mean, there are others. Yes, but this is really the one and you can just, I mean, you, you can go nuts with it. it it's everybody gives it great reviews. Um, there's a pro version called tune in pro as well, which you pay for, uh, the free one does everything. I just talked about the tune in. The only thing really that tune in pro adds in is it allows you to record what you're hearing you know, and that's pretty cool. That's kind of like the old days when you, you know, you put in an audio cassette into a boom box and you could record what was on the radio and get your favorite songs, or you could like make your own little mixes and stuff like that, or record Casey Kasem's top 40. I loved Casey Kasem's top 40. I mean, it's just great what you can do. The other nice thing is that you can actually create a tune in account on their website. And I'll link to the website in the show notes. You can create a tune in account and you can save all your preset stations on tune in. And so that way, no matter what device you're playing with, if you're logged in with tune in, you got all your stations and they come right up. If it's on your Google TV or Android, if it's on your Mac, it's, you know, or I mean your, you know, your iPhone, iPad, whatever, it's all right there and you're good to go. The cloud, you got to love it, baby. This is Brian Sovereign and I'll be back with more. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, my favorite part of the show, as always, because I love video games. Um, alright, this week we've got an article... Uh, this is from Kotaku, which I get a lot of game articles. They, they just have great resources and they grab good stuff. So it's very easy for me to go to Kotaku and get great content for this. And this is an article we're going to read, and I don't know if I'm going to agree with it. So I'll just say that outright. Uh, and the article is, it's by uh, Stephen uh, Totillo, and it's the argument for a very violent scene in a very violent video game. Let's break right into it. After our hero Kratos wrestles the elephant monster in God of War Ascension to the ground, he, you, he meaning you, can make him stab the creature in the head. You can make him stab repeatedly. Then, at your command, Kratos slits the head open to reveal the monster's brain. That's too much, I blurted out when David Hewitt, the design manager at the Sony studio making Ascension for the PlayStation 3, played the scene in front of me. I could almost hear his eyebrows arching. 
Oh, that's too much? God of War is a series about an enraged Spartan general who becomes an enraged killer of gods and titans. It is the bloodier version of bloody Greek mythology. These games let us virtually stab a cyclops in the eyeball and rip the heads off of gorgons. When Kratos isn't a butcher, he's kicking blocks to solve puzzles and grunting through extravagant sex scenes. Just one of those scenes per game is in the five-game series so far, and for the sex scenes, the, the camera mostly turns away. Uh, God of War is a game of violence, played for the satisfying feedback of executing complex combination attacks and or for the thrill of ripping the wings off of harpies. It's a series of above-average game design and nasty violence. Cutting that brain out is too much. The brain scene climaxes a seven-minute sequence from God of War Ascension that was first shown to the public last month when it was played live on stage at a massive live-stream Sony press conference. The demo ending in that scene was cheered. I think there's an emotional release in it for people, Hewitt told me. At the Sony press conference, you saw a lot of broader appeal, less violent titles such as Wonderbook and Beyond... And I think that when you got the, to The Last of Us and God of War Ascension, I think there was a group of people in the audience who were really pleased to see that this is really gamey stuff. This is a real experience. And there was a release. There was an emotional kind of cheer of, yeah, let's get that elephant's brain out of its head, which hadn't been the tone of the conference so far. That sounded plausible. There are many people who love playing traditional console games and who equate traditional games with expressions of virtual violence. They value that violence because many of the most satisfying ways to interact with the virtual world have involved some sort of act of aggression, conflict, or obliteration. See Pac-Man, Space Invaders, and about half the games that ever came uh, after them for reference. On the other hand, we've got new games showing up all the time that are made for broader audiences, and what do you know? These games tend to be less brutal, less bloody, maybe less interactive, too. But this past E3 was the E3 of too much, quote-unquote, or at least the E3 of maybe that was too much, quote-unquote. It was the E3 with all the neck stabbings and throat slittings and the one that prompted a designer of a new Mickey Mouse game, that being Warren Spector, uh, and an old violence-optional sci-fi classic to say, hey... This ultraviolence has to stop. Coming from within the gaming industry, the critique carried a different tone. It sounded less like the classic outsider's concern that violent video games might breed real violence, and more like the frustration of a creative individual wondering if his peers had decided that the best way to entertain was to let people pretend to disembowel. It was a violence complaint as aesthetic lament. Hewitt heard about that last bit about half of uh, Hall of Famer Warren Spector essentially saying enough is enough with all the crazy violence. Spector hadn't mentioned God of War when he complained. He may not have been thinking about it. Hewitt doesn't think it fits. There are very realistic games, maybe with a war setting, where the violence has a real weight for people, he said. It's something that relates to things in their families' lives or, or to things they've experienced in their own lives. I think there's a sensitivity to that and there's a tone set there that we need, you know, that uh, there's a tone set there that we need to be, as an industry, very mindful of. He was talking about games that show modern war, not mythological war. He was talking about the kinds of games that have guns and no elephant monsters. If you were glorifying violence in that setting, I think maybe that's different. I think some of those concerns carry a little, more, little bit more weight for me personally. In God of War, however, the violence is different. 
Hewitt would argue that it fits. I think God of War uh, sits way out on the perimeter. I mean, it's steeped in mythology. It's particularly liberal take on the mythology and fairness, but the mythology is brutally violent, tons of fun, and thus is pushing that even further out in that direction. So really, the road that we're on with this title, one of the pillars, is that moment-to-moment release of making you feel empowered. Kratos is a relatively straightforward character in some respects, but he's moving forward towards revenge and will not let and, and will let nothing get in his way. And that's part of who he is and part of the experience you want when you pick, pick up a controller and play a God of War game. Kratos is furious in this game, Hewitt reminded me. Oh, he always is, but this time in this prequel, he has just been duped into killing his family. This might make a man stab an elephant monster in the head, the argument goes. Kratos as a character has been put through the most appalling things a person can endure insofar as being tricked into killing his family and into a deal with the, with the devil as far as his pact with Ares, Hewitt said. This game is a story of him undoing that and finding a way forward to his revenge. He's a little unhinged. His background is that he was a brutal warrior, a Spartan general, and he takes pleasure, release, and satisfaction in violence. And I think in this mythological setting, you have these creatures that are a real threat to him in his current state. He's more vulnerable. He gets more beaten up over the course of the game than we're used to seeing. And I think there's a real sense of very kind of visceral hands-on way taking that violent revenge on those creatures as he fights through for some kind of answers. I get that Kratos is enraged. He has been in all the God of Wars. I've played through them. I've liked them, except when they've skated toward the extremes of gore. I considered again the scene I had watched Hewitt play through. Maybe I suggested to him this seemed different because it was an elephant. Later, when I rewatched the scene, I thought maybe it was because the elephant monster wailed, making the noise an elephant might if it was angry or dying in pain. This would have been different, I proposed to Hewitt, had Kratos' enemy looked not like a mythological bipedal elephant, but like a real one. Uh, I think if it were an actual elephant, I think it would be ghastly, Hewitt said. But the fact that this is a kind of brutal, violent elephant wielding a club made out of tusks of other elephants... Again, it's kind of so far out there in that spectrum that it doesn't make me uncomfortable. Okay. You know, if you want to email me at SovereignTech at Hush.ai and let me know what you think about this topic, that, you know, I'm open to that, and I would love to read your comments in the listener email section. Um, I, I'm kind of in line. Now, I think Warren Spector, who's the person that complained about the ultraviolence and all that, um, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm not with him entirely on some things because I think he's going too far and what he doesn't want to see in games anymore. He did like, he has a problem with rebellion, but I'm kind of with him on that. Yeah, this is getting out of hand. Now, the, the, the developer Hewitt, I mean, he was, he was accurate in saying that I think it is far worse when it's a game, when it's like a game like modern warfare um, or battlefield or something like that, where it's showing like right now, you know, real human abilities, killing all that stuff. There's something to be said for that. I grant you. Okay. Like when I play, you know, Duke Nukem forever and it's just so outlandish, uh, you know, I don't, I don't get the same, like kind of like, uh, red lights going off, you know, or, you know, alarms going off in my brain that, Whoa, this is vicious or things like that. Um, so I kind of understand that point, but at the same time, I don't know. I I mean, like, what does, you know, it reminds me of like Alfred Hitchcock. Okay. And and actually two, two quick points. One is Alfred Hitchcock did in his movies did very scary things, but you never actually saw them happen. 
He was, but you still got scared. He was that good. Okay. And, you know, so, so like, do you even need to see the elephant brain? Do you need to see the skull getting ripped out and all this stuff? Is that necessary? I don't know. But here's, here's the crux. Here's the real crux. Why is the sex scene in the game shown from, you know, with the camera panning away from it? And yet the scene ripping out the, you know, ripping out the, the brain of the elephant and tearing its scalp off is close combat and you have total control. Why can't I have control of the sex scene in the game? I think there's something wrong there. I think we have some priorities screwed up on what's actually fun. I'll be back with more. Are you searching for a mouthwatering, all-natural, sweet and sticky treat? What if I told you it was also made by a chef who believes in freedom, just like you? You're not dreaming. This is real. Head over to mandrik.com. That's M-A-N-D-R-I-K.com. There you'll find George's famous baklava in classic and dark chocolate flavors. Mm. To those with special health needs, George's famous baklava also has a treat for you. Golden Delicious Low-Carb Gluten-Free Almond Cookies. Order with PayPal or Bitcoins. In just a few days, your sweet treats will await you right at your doorstep. One more time, that's M-A-N-D-R-I-K dot com for George's Famous Bakaba. Hacker Stories. It is time for Hacker Stories, where we talk about some of the real heroes on planet Earth today. And that's hackers, be they gray hat, black hat, white hat, whatever. These guys are heroes. And, you know, I, I've mentioned a, a few episodes ago, we talked about Aaron Swartz, who was who committed suicide because he was being uh, met with a million dollar fine and a at least a 35 year prison sentence by the United States government. Um, and he was only about 26, 27 years old because he wanted information to be free. And I said, when we talked about it, then we, we read a great eulogy by Jeffrey Tucker. You can look back to that episode, find it in the show notes and you'll see, and it's really a great read if you're not sure exactly what went down. But I said that as things progress, I would keep, uh, you know, my listeners updated as to what's going on with Aaron Swartz. And another way that, that you can be kept updated, not just by listening to the show, but we have a very, I have a, a relatively active Facebook page for Sovereign Tech, and I post stories throughout the week there. I mean, pretty much every day I'm posting something on there. Uh, so it's a great way to get information, stay connected with the show. You can also submit stories to me uh, through that venue as well. And this one, um, this is from the RT from Russia Today. And the headline is DOJ, that's Department of Justice, admits, quote unquote, to targeting Aaron Swartz over his activism. This is from February 26th of 2013. Uh, Aaron Swartz's past activism and guerrilla open access manifesto played a part in his prosecution. Sources told U.S. media. Prosecutors pursued him, even though he had not yet leaked anything, as his manifesto proved his alleged malicious intent. Swartz's manifesto demonstrated his, uh, you know, Swartz's manifesto, quote unquote, demonstrated his malicious intent in downloading documents on a massive scale, reads a Huffington Post report quoting anonymous Justice Department representatives. So his malicious intent was downloading documents. Uh, okay. 
In his manifesto, Aaron Swartz stated that sharing information was a quote-unquote moral imperative and advocated quote-unquote civil disobedience against copyright laws. He called for action against the privatization of knowledge, which he dubbed a fight for guerrilla open access. Schwartz's statement played a role in federal prosecutors' plan to indict him for downloading millions of scholarly articles from a JSTOR database in 2011, congressional staffers were reportedly told during a recent congressional briefing. The briefing held for the Congressional Oversight Committee was part of an investigation into the government's prosecution of the late activist encoder who committed suicide on January 11th at the age of 26. Family, friends, and supporters of Swartz have maintained the aggressive prosecution was a decisive factor in his suicide. At the time of his death, Swartz was, Schwartz was, a, was facing a felony conviction, a prison sentence of up to 35 years, and a $1 million fine. The Justice Department has defended the federal prosecutors, denying the claims. Stephen Reich, uh, an associate deputy attorney general, reportedly said at the briefing, the prosecutors acted, quote-unquote, in a reasonable manner and within the frame of, quote-unquote, adequate deterrence to criminal conduct in order to deter others from committing similar offenses. That's the key. It was also confirmed during the briefing that Swartz was offered a bargain for a guilty plea that would have given him a three-month prison sentence. The prosecutors were allegedly pursuing at least seven to eight years of jail time for Swartz. Not everyone who took part in the briefing has agreed that the prosecution handled the case reasonably. In quotes, some congressional staffers left the briefing with the impression that prosecutors believed they needed to convict Swartz of a felony that would put him in jail for a short sentence in order to justify bringing the charges in the first place, end quotes, Huffington Post reported, citing two aides with knowledge of the briefing. Critics reacted to the report saying the government persecuted Swartz for his views without having any real evidence he had criminal intent. Swartz's actions were criminalized by the government just because he was an, quote-unquote, effective advocate of policies contrary to their views, human rights lawyer and blogger at Harper's Magazine Scott Horton told Mashable. Swartz's manifesto was not quite as extreme as some make it out to be, blogger Mike Masnick wrote on TechDirt. It mostly referred to material that is out of copyright and talked about buying access to databases before releasing its contents online, he explained. And that's true. In fact, Swartz spent thousands, if not millions, on buying out documents. I mean, he put his money where his mouth was. He bought out documents and set them free that were in various, like, JSTOR and things like that. Amazing. In quotes, apparently the DOJ thought it was a reason to throw the book at Swartz, even if he hadn't hadn't actually made any such works available. Masnick wrote, referring to the the fact that Swartz hadn't shared any of the JSTOR articles he allegedly downloaded. The digital library itself has earlier stated it received confirmation from Swartz, in quotes, that the content was not and would not be used, copied, transferred, or distributed, end quotes. Amid wide public concern over Swartz's case, the White House issued a directive expanding uh, access to publicly funded scientific research. Last week's directive was hailed by open access supporters as a major victory in a fight in which Swartz has taken an active part. Well, first comments, as far as the government saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, we need to make this stuff more accessible. Too little, too late. That's what I have to say about that. 
too little too late if it was if if suddenly oh now somebody died now it's wrong why wasn't it wrong before that's madness and for people to to applaud them is even worse that deserves no applause you know it's it's an interesting th- i mean th- th- here this is it this this is the doj is admitting we need to make an example of somebody we got people need to start getting hurt for messing with the way the system works that's what they're saying it's time to start hurting people for what information now think about this for a second because we're talking about what he, the things that he was that he got in trouble for was he was it was public research being done done with public funds why exactly is research that's being done with tax dollars being hidden from the public they paid for it why does it why in fact you know he he aaron schwartz like i said hashed out millions to 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 free some of this information up why does he have to pay for it again he's a taxpayer in fact he's a very he was a very wealthy young man and which means that he paid a lot more in taxes than most people do why did he have to pay to get public research why are why are these science why is scientists and lawyers and all this stuff doing all this research in the first place if it's not meant to be shared with the people to benefit from that's why we want our government to pay for it we in quotes i mean just right there that doesn't make any sense and you know and i'd love to see some of the cases i'd love to see what some of the some of aaron's horses like lawyers were saying did they make any comments in that regard at all did anyone try to say you know hey this copyright system's crazy especially when it's copywriting things that are paid for by public tax dollars i wonder I'll look into this and I'll get back with you as far as whether or not any of those cases were made, but they should have been made. They're being made now. We lost an absolute hero and he was targeted because of just how capable he was. Scary. Very, very scary. There's no other way to put that. In that, no, you know what? If you're that good, if you if they think you have that much pull, we're coming after you. We're targeting you. Not and in fact, this is the amazing thing. He didn't even do anything yet. He just like stated that he wants to do these sorts of things, and they got to go after him. Is that uh, an example of the Bush doctrine being put on citizens? Forget about it. The government's not even at war with foreigners anymore. Now, dep- I, I apologize. It's depressing. It really is. But, and I don't know how you can't not get mad about it. It's Brian Sovereign. We'll be back with more. Oh, yeah. This is Stephanie Murphy, Sovereign Tech Producer. You may know me from this show, but did you know that I have my own podcast? It's called Pork Therapy. Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech. 
doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. <sighs> it's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But, baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well, then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the week. It is time for pick of the week. Uh, you know, if you ever email me, if you think that intro like gets too long or if you ever get tired of it, I might keep it anyway, because I love the little bit of extra time I get. I mean, granted, I can always just press pause, but the things that I do during that extra time that that nice long intro gives me. But anyway, I won't go into those. Let's go into pick of the week. Um, it, it, I want to lighten things up a little bit. And so we'll talk about things that are, well, these things can be heavy sometimes, but are generally pretty light and some nice escapism from, uh, you know, maybe more depressing matters. And I want to talk about comic books in particular. I've done this before in the show, you know, pick of the week is where I can talk about whatever I want to talk about. doesn't matter what it is. Uh, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be, you know, I mean, I am an anarchist, atheist, libertine, you know, the whole thing. It doesn't even have to be related to any of that. It's just pick of the week. Um, and this week I'm going to talk about something that I really can't believe I'm talking about. And that's Spider-Man. Well, it's unfair to say that. I mean, you know, I, I would talk about it. It's just amazing that I would talk about it in a positive light. I've, I've never been a fan of, of Spider-Man as far as Marvel goes. I was always more of an Iron Man kind of guy long before there was an Iron Man movie. Um, and the, the, what they did recently, Peter Parker, who plays Spider-Man, if you do, if you're not aware of this or who is Spider-Man, if you're not aware of this, um, Peter Parker died in the Marvel comics universe. This has nothing to do with the movies. This is, this is about the comics and he died. And Dr. Octopus, Otto Octavius, like was dying. And so he actually, you know, how it happened isn't important, but he transferred his consciousness into Peter Parker's body. And so now, now Peter Parker's still inside there a little bit, but anyway, the, the, the bottom line is, is that Dr. Octopus, Doc Ock is now Spider-Man. He is now Peter Parker and he is doing all the things that come with, with that role. And it's really it, it, ne next to like, maybe, maybe Iron Man or Phantom Stranger. It's probably the most exciting comic I'm reading. It is so funny. And now Spider-Man was, has, is, is like notorious for, for, or infamous for being a, a funny comic. You know, Peter Parker is always kind of lighthearted and always there with the wisecrack. But like now it's, it's really funny because you have a villain who has a hero complex now wants to be the hero, but he's doing it in such a way that, you know, he still has kind of his villainous platitudes. And, and of course, uh, Otto Octavius, Dr. Otto Octavius, Doc Ock, um, you know, is one of the most brilliant characters, you know, as far as like most intelligent characters in the Marvel universe. In fact, Reed Richards, who a lot of people consider like, you know, the ultimate smart guy in comics, um, even in, in the past has given credit to Dr. Octopus saying, no, he's, he's a genius. You know, he works on a whole other level, uh, kind of like Dr. Doom or something. Anyway. 
so you have this you have this character this villainous character that you know has this real elite complex now obviously that would appeal to me um you know he has this like real elitist feelings and now he's a hero and and it's just so funny and like now he's and and it's and it's not just that there's there's more than that because there's one issue it's only like four issues in and they're calling it the superior spider-man so it has that nice air of elitism to it too and he like he he's there's a whole issue uh i think it's it's the second issue or maybe the third issue or no it's the second issue where he's hitting on mary jane peter parker's on and off kind of soulmate for lack of a better word and it's it's just so funny it's great and i know everybody you know i think most comic book fans that were reading this were looking into it were like oh boy is this you know it's dr octopus and he's with mary jane is this going to turn into tentacle porn you know, on the light side, you know, in a comic book. And I think everybody was kind of waiting for that, but I'll, I'll just spare you the reading. It doesn't happen. Um, you know, if, if you're into that sort of thing, but anyway, um, it, it raises a lot of, it reminds me of an episode, the whole thing where like you have this guy who's a hero now, who is kind of a master manipulator. He's an elitist. He's super intelligent. I mean, even more intelligent than Peter Parker. Peter Parker was an intelligent guy, you know, and how he handles crime. And it reminds me of an episode of Star Trek. Uh, I think I'm saying that way too many times on the show now, but anyway, it reminds me of an episode of Star Trek, the original series. It was uh, episode five, season one, the enemy within where through a transporter accident, captain Kirk gets beamed up and he gets turned into two captain Kirk's one quote unquote evil. And the other, quote-unquote good and it's an amazing morality tale for whatever morals are and you know you find out like what the perspective that that episode gives you now whether this is true or not you know is 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 up to philosophers but the perspective is is that the evil captain kirk actually had a lot of the strength and had a lot of the uh determination and, you know, all these had all these actual good qualities like that, that humans rely on, you know, to, to, to get through life. And then the, you know, the good Captain Kirk was like very forgetful, uh, you know, couldn't, couldn't kind of keep his head straight, but he was also very courageous, you know, the good one. So, so what, what it was, it was kind of a morality play in that you got to understand where, you know, where these you know, where, where your, where your strengths, where your, uh, abilities, where your thoughts, where your mentality, where, where does all that come from? Very psychological. And it's interesting that this villainous, you know, the, the Spider-Man, this new hero with a very villainous, uh, uh, technique, and you could say maybe a villainous heart is cleaning up the streets and doing a much better job of it than Peter Parker ever did. And in fact, in upcoming stories, it looks like he's pretty much going to save the entire planet. Of course, this is all fiction. Okay. But that's the point. This is meant to be lighthearted and fun, but it's interesting that, that this, this hard line edge, you know, the, this elitism, all this stuff lends itself to creating maybe even a better hero. And, and it, it's, it, it is just a fascinating read, you know, because I mean, you, you know, with, with so many com if you're into comic books, you know, you have so many people like, like Batman's really dry 
And I mean, he's smart, but he, you know, he doesn't like lay it out. He doesn't kind of talk about himself uh, too much and all that. So you don't get to like really peek into the character as much, you know, into the character's thoughts so much as to what exactly Batman's thinking other than like, you know, all he can think about is vengeance, you know, and all this stuff, all of which is fine. I mean, I love Batman, but, but to get into the mentality of a character and to see maybe the, the kind of strange rationalizations of what creates a hero, a, you know, a hero that's good at what he does, you know, the kind of, and, and that's what I like, you know, one of my, one of my purpose purposes with, with making, with doing sovereign tech is I really, you know, and I know a lot of people say this, but really I want, I want to get people to think and maybe even go beyond thinking, maybe start talking. And I think that'd be really great. And so, you know, it, it, and so I want to present things a lot that make you think, and I like things. I mean, I'm just presenting what I want. You know, I like things that make me think and reading it. I can't help but think. And in fact, here's the other interesting part. This is, this is where it gets really, really fascinating. This is where maybe it's, it's related to Liberty in some degree in that because Peter Parker's still kind of inside his own head and Dr. Octopus is there too. There's points where Doc Ock is, is, is like remembering things. He's going back in his memory and Peter Parker's there experiencing those memories with him. Doc Ock doesn't know it, but he is there. And there's a point when Dr. Octopus is thinking back, he ends up hurting a kid while he's, you know, taking on some villain as Spider-Man. And he gets mad at the guy saying, why did you, why are you using children? I don't want to hurt a kid. Okay. And, and then the memory goes back and Dr. Octopus thinks, and, and, and his dad's beating him and beating his mother. And I think that's an interesting, that, that, that's an interesting take. That's an interesting thing to think about is that, you know, the, the, I mean, again, all fictional, I get it. Okay. But it's so fun to be able to talk to my listeners and pretend that these characters (laughs) talk about them like they're even real, you know, That, that that's great fun for me, but that's why it's pick of the week. And so you get to see, you know, maybe there's, maybe there aren't, maybe these people don't just want to like, you know, they're not just megalomaniacal. Maybe, maybe that something in their childhood brought them to the point to where they're this villain and there's some understanding to be had there. And, and I, I, you know, again, it's just one of those things that where in your run of the mill entertainment to get away from everything, it makes you think. And I, and that's fabulous. That is so great. Uh, to, to get out of your entertainment. So, and again, you know, it's, it's, it's a very well-known character with very well-known powers and, and the whole thing's just bottom line. The whole thing's very refreshing because it's not Peter Parker anymore. There's been other Spider-Mans in the past. Uh, there still are kind of other Spider-Mans like Scarlet Spider and whatever. Um, but none of them, they're all still kind of like, you know, your average hero as to where here's a story. And it, it's just, it is so amazing to read, you know, but here's a story about, here's a guy who's trying to like make good for maybe the wrongs that he's done and things like that. He's gotten a second chance on life and now he's, he's trying to make the best of it. And it, and it is just, it's so great. Like, I mean, the, the elitism in it, you know, that, that Dr. Octopus always like plays up really appeals to me. I think it's hilarious. In fact, he'll even, you know, there's, there's this recent issue where, cause it's, it's not just superior Spider-Man, but also the issues avenging Spider-Man are part of it too. And, uh, in, in in the recent issue of Avenging Spider-Man number 17, he's talking with like the, the fill-ins for the Fantastic Four that are there right now. One of them is, is Queen Medusa. And she has this really like, 
you know, upturned nose kind of snob appeal attitude to her. And he's making fun of the other three members. And then he sees her and he's like, well, she can stay, you know, <laughs> and his, his consistency of appreciation for selfishness, um, you know, and, and, and for, uh, uh, you know, someone that, that has an understanding of a, maybe some opulence and things like that, um, really makes for, you know, for a great read. And also in that same issue, he meets like this, this little kid who's actually a clone of Dr. Doom, but it's a little kid. And the little kid's always saying things like, do you know who I am? You can't do this to me. I'll do this to you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's so funny because, you know, Doc Ock as Spider-Man, as Peter Parker is thinking to himself, you know, it's like, wow, it sounds like me when I was like 12, you know, and, and it's just, it makes for an absolutely hilarious read. Um, so check it out. Uh, S- Superior Spider-Man and Avenging Spider-Man are the, the, the two main titles that he's being, uh, you know, showcased in. And if you want to write to Marvel, I already have write to Marvel saying, Hey, you know, leave Peter Parker, just let him stay dead, you know, because the, or have him like constantly just be like the conscience in, in Doc Ock's mind because Otto Octavius as Spider-Man is just making for, very very entertaining reading you know and it's great because comic books you get a nice full story and you can read them inside of like 10 minutes 10 15 minutes and so it's a nice break from uh you know from the run of the mill and you know of of your day maybe so check that out um again any questions or comments about the whole show any insults whatever uh you know send it to sovereign tech at hush.ai don't forget to check out the soundcloud page at soundcloud.com slash sovereign tech I mean, we've, you know, that spared no expense in making sure you get the best, you know, podcasts out there as far as quality and availability. You can comment there as well. And then, of course, there's the Tumblr page or what is actually SovereignTech.com. Go check that out. The Facebook page, always something going on with the Facebook page. Uh, Gotta love it. I'll be back next week with more Sovereign Tech. This is Brian Sovereign. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at sovereigntech.tumblr.com. That's S O V R Y N tech.tumblr.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds.